The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, happy Father's Day, dads. Um, if we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. And what we're going to do, uh, just for a second, uh, we're going to take a moment. Um, you know, last week was VBS, Vacation Bible School for our church, and uh, Mitchell Brian had VBS the week before, and Grace Chapel also had VBS this, uh, this past week, but one of, their, um, one of their children on Thursday night was hit in the head with a baseball bat um, and had to be, did, there was a procedure that was done here um, in Scotts Bluff, but then they were flown down to Children's Hospital in Denver, and they're doing well, um, but I can say that of all of the things that could happen during a VBS week, that would be pretty low on my list of things that I would want to have happen in our church. So let's just take a minute and let's, let's pray for that family, let's pray for that child, and let's pray, for, um, let's pray for Grace Chapel and their leadership right now. God, we lift up um, just, uh, just the situation with this child, and we're, and we're so thankful that, that he's doing well. Um, but we pray for their family, um, pray, for the, pray for the student that was the one swinging the bat, um, pray for uh, pray for Grace Chapel and their leadership um, as they are probably feeling all sorts of things um, in the midst of this, trying to figure out what they could have done differently. Um, so we just want to we just want to lift them up as um, as followers of Christ. We are to we're to pray for one another, and we want to pray for um, this particular body in our community uh, today and this week. And it's in your sons, and we pray, Amen. Hey, I would love for you to open your Bible to Revelation 11, uh, verses 15 to 19. We're going to read that verse later. So if you're, if you're wondering when we're going to read that scripture, it's going um, to be a little bit later. Um, one of the things that, that you should know is every day for our church body, um, there, are, there are three things that I uh, pray for you about um, I pray that you would grow in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord that would lead to transformation. Um, I pray that, um, that we would invite other people because we have been transformed. We would talk to other people that, that we are in relationship with and we would invite them not, not just to hear on Sunday morning, but that we would invite other people into relationship with us so that we might introduce them to Christ. And then lastly, um, I've been praying every day this year that salvation would come um, to 100 people in Scotts Bluff through, through our ministry. And I know we haven't talked, I shared that a few months ago, we haven't talked much about that, but that's what I'm praying for. And it starts with that wisdom and that knowledge piece um, leading to transformation. And it starts, that, that leading to transformation part is really important. Because, because we, can, we can read the Bible, right? We can do Bible studies. We can take in all of this information. We can learn lots of things. But if it's, not, if it's not leading me to be closer in my relationship with Christ, then what that means is if I'm not being transformed to look more like Christ, if we as a church are not being transformed to look more like Christ, then really we just have a bunch of, we just have a bunch of empty knowledge and wisdom. We can know a lot of things without being transformed. And the reason I'm talking about that particular thing um, today before we talk about six chapters from the book of Revelation is um, we haven't talked very much about the, the concept of numbers in the book of Revelation. Um, we've talked about numbers. We've said numbers. There are seven lampstands and seven stars and 24 elders and and it's really easy for us, and, and we've had this conversation in both of our small groups the past week. It's really easy for us to, to, to wonder what those numbers mean, right? Well, they mean, first off, they mean something. Um, the, one of the numbers that we're going to talk about today quite a bit is just the number seven. And really what, what that number is all about is it's just a whole number. It's a, in Scripture, in the Bible, when you see the number seven, listed, you're really reading about something that's complete. And in a lot of ways, the number 12 is pretty similar to that as well. So that's why you have like 12 tribes of Israel. You have 12 apostles. 12 plus 12, last time I checked was 24, okay? A few of you not yet on the new math, so that's good. 
right? 12 and 12 is 24. So when we think about, like last week, we talked about 24 elders. Who are these people? Well, they represent the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. And because it's a, because it's a complete number, because it's a whole number, they represent the totality of humanity bowing down at the feet of Jesus. And, and honestly, um, I think that's, that might be all we need to know about numbers. And the reason I'm talking about this is because it, it can be so simple for us when we're reading through a book like Revelation to get caught up in all of these things. If you want to research numbers, you know what? I think that's great. I think if that's how you want to spend your time looking at things in scripture, I think that's fine. But here's what I'm going to challenge you on. If it's not actually leading to transformation, if it's not leading to, to a changed heart that looks more like Jesus, like, what's the point? I want to challenge you and encourage you to, to not miss the big picture of what's happening in the book of Revelation over, over little things like numbers. And it's not that they're not important. I just think they're not necessarily as important for us as they were for them. That's something we've talked about a few times over the course of the series is this, this book is written to seven churches in a specific time and in a specific, in a specific place. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have any value for us, which is what we're gonna talk about today. But it just means like when they, when they saw 24 elders, like, like they would have done the math. They would not have needed anyone to explain this to them because, because this is their culture. It's kind of like I was listening to a podcast about understanding revelation over the past couple of days. It's kind of like for us as Americans. If you, if, you were, um, if you were online or reading a newspaper and you saw a political cartoon and you saw and you saw a picture of a donkey and it was political season, what would that donkey represent? Got to talk louder than that. Democrats, right? And what does the elephant represent? Republicans, see? We don't, we don't have to have anyone interpret that for us. Does that make sense? But if someone was from another country, was peering into our political system and they saw a donkey and an elephant, they'd be like, what in the world is all of this about, Right? We're reading a letter that was written to seven churches 2,000 years ago. Our first move is to not have it apply to us because this was written, this was written to them. Um, that might be all I'm ever gonna say about numbers in this series. So there, well, if you wanted it, there it was. That was it. Um, here's, here's what we talked about last week. I'm just gonna read this. Um, in Revelation four and five, the door to heaven opened and John was met by an onslaught of sight and sound and amidst the chaos, the almost chaos was a throne. The one seated on that throne was holding a scroll that contains the answer to the question, how is God going to save the world? That's what was on the scroll. And we know that because like we're gonna talk about today, when, this, when the seals start popping off, what we're gonna see is the universe begins to be made right. And here's how. The scroll's unsealed to reveal the reality of the consequences of sin and the pending judgment for it. So today, as we talk about chapters six through 11, we're seeing two things. We're seeing the consequences of sin, full-on consequences of sin, and we're starting to see God's judgment for it. Right? And we will see the special responsibility of the church to stand for Christ and demonstrate his kingdom to a world that's lost in suffering. So amidst these consequences, amidst this judgment, we're gonna get this picture of, of a group of people who have been called out by God. We, the word that we use for that is church, to stand for God. So when chaos and anarchy and all of these things are taking place all around us, and see, that's one reason why this, um, we talk about revelation is not the future. Because I think if you open your eyes for a minute, you'll see chaos and anarchy now, right? Like, don't we just live in a world gone mad? And we're trying to, and here's what we often try to do. We see this world gone mad and then like an, an, an incident happens in a world that's going mad and, and we instantly turn to the book of Revelation, right? Oh, it must be this thing. It must be this thing. 
It's like we're one step closer and we're one step closer. And the reality is the world's been going mad for thousands of years. We're living, if you really want to know, like this could have been a 10-minute series. If you really want to know what's happening in the book of Revelation is we're living it. We're in the midst of it right now. So what happens with these seals? If you have the, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, um, like I say we, I, like I didn't do anything. I just typed in something and it magically appeared, right? Like, because that, that's what I love about our culture. Like I just typed in Revelation 6 and it dumped the entire chapter in there. We're gonna, we're gonna do like a 20,000 foot view of six chapters in the book of Revelation today. And we're gonna talk about it while we go. If you want more details, I think you should just read the book. Um, so, so these seals in Revelation 6, these seals start to be opened. And, and here's the first seal. It's a white horse with a rider and a bow, and he's wearing a crown. It's not Jesus. Some of us think it's Jesus because later in the book of Revelation, we're going to see another guy on a white horse. That's Jesus. This is not Jesus. This is a red horse rider with a sword and authority, and he takes peace. Seal pops off and he goes out and he takes peace. There's conquest and there's domination. How do people dominate one another in our world? Well, that's seal number two. It's the black horse, or or excuse me, the red horse and the rider with sword and authority. And that's gonna be war and slaughter. See how this is today? See what happens when we think this is gonna be some, or we only think this is gonna be some future reality? We're seeing these things today. Well, what happens when the war is over? That's the third seal. Black horse and a rider with scales. It's really important in in this particular particular, um, rider to note that this isn't just about economic inequality. I just wanna read uh, chapter six. I'm just gonna read a verse And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, but don't waste the olive and the wine. Do you remember, do you remember last year? Wasn't 2020 awesome? Do you remember last year in states all around the United States, there would be all of these little weird things that were taking place. Like churches had all of these limitations about how many people could meet. But I don't know if you paid attention, but in Colorado, like all of the liquor stores and all of the marijuana shops were wide open. A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost the day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. See, what's happening is this world gone mad that we are living in is full of all of the things that we want, but nothing that we need. The things that we really need are not available to us. And if they are, there's a tremendous cost. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to go to the store and buy a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread for $70. That's what's going on here. That's the, that's the economic inequity that is taking place in our world. So when we, when we think about this and we're trying to figure all of this out, we're, we're seeing this rider, we're seeing these scales. And then there's the fourth seal. It's a pale green horse. There's a rider named Death and his companion is Grave. And this resorts, results in sword and famine and all of these wild animal attacks from the text. And what we're seeing in these first four seals is we're seeing the embodiment of the world's most persistent problems. War and famine and economic inequity. We see these things taking place right now. And then there's seal five. Those who were killed for their faith cry out for justice and vengeance. And what their result is, is they receive a white robe and they're called to rest and wait for the full number of martyrs to be completed. I think that kind of sounds like 
a people crying out to God, wondering when this is all gonna end, doesn't it? Wanting justice, wanting wrongs to be righted. And see, earlier we talked about the, one of the churches, their reward was to be given a white robe. Do you see how this book is all coming together here? These chapters are all flowing into one another. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. Here's the sixth seal. An earthquake, darkened sun, red moon, stars fall. Like this is what we're living for, right? This is why we all wanted to hear about this series. Because we couldn't wait to hear about the death and destruction of the world. The skies rolled up and mountains and islands move. And interestingly, when this seal is opened, the result is all people, the powerful, the powerless, the influenced and the influencers, they, they head for the hills and they go into caves and their response to the consequences of sin and their response to the judgment of God is, I wish these mountains would fall on us. Notice they're not crying out in repentance to God. They're just wanting to die. They want the mountains and the caves to follow them and they resist and they seem to blame God, forgetting that he has always brought judgment to restore order. See, that's one of the things, if we go back throughout the entire Bible, and this is why it's so important for us to understand what's happening in scripture, is God always, always, always brings judgment to restore order. There has to be an accounting. And in order for God to cast out evil out of this world, he has to start with us. So all of these things, these consequences and the judgment, all of these things are taking place on the earth. And, and the people's response is, oh, I, I want to die. I want to escape this. I want to get away. But then they also ask a really interesting question. They say, who can stand? The whole world is, is coming down on us. Who's going to survive this? Who's going to make it? Well, that's chapter 7 called that the answer. And the answer in chapter seven is to the question who's going to stand, the answer is this, the faithful overcoming church. That's who is going to stand. If you're wanting to know, like at the end of all of this, who's gonna, who's gonna, with, who's gonna withstand the consequences of sin and the judgment of a righteous God? It's a faithful and overcoming church. As the seventh seal is prepped to be open, there are people who are going to be marked with a seal. And that's really why you're here, right? Well, the mark of the beast is next week, sort of. But these people are sealed, are marked by God. How many? Well, the Bible tells us um, in one part, it says there are 144,000. So let's do some math. Let's see who's going to make it. Okay? That's not what this is saying. Remember what I said about the number 12? It's a whole number. It's a perfect number. So we see this 144,000. And you should know that there are entire religions built around this 144,000. Okay? There are people who, who read this literally, and it's like, they're the only ones going to heaven. Well, that's not actually what, um, what the Bible says. One of the things that's interesting, if you read through the book of Revelation, is in several, in several instances, John hears about something and he turns and looks and he sees something else. Here's an example. Last week, when they were, when they were wondering who could open the seal, this, this angel says, There's, a lion can open the seal. And John turns and he looks, and do you remember what he saw? He saw the slain lamb. John hears 144,000. But then he turns and looks, and in chapter 7, verse 9, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in, get this, white robes. And they held 
palm branches in their hands. See, what we're seeing taking place right now is, is the promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis 12, we're seeing that be fulfilled. Abram, you're gonna go, you're gonna leave the land where you currently live, you're gonna go somewhere else and you're gonna be the father of many nations. And we're, we're starting to see this gathering right now take place in the text and they're shouting and they're praising God because they've been washed in the blood of the lamb. They're worshiping God because they have been saved. And here's, here's the thing, they're victorious, but not by killing their enemies, but by suffering for them and dying for them because they loved their enemies just like the lamb himself. Because it's the faithful and it's the overcoming church that stands. By being a demonstration of what the lamb did for them to other people, they stand. This is Revelation 8. We're just told you, 20,000 foot view. The seventh seal finally opens and... Nothing. It says 30 minutes. Well, we know based on what I said a minute ago, like it probably wasn't 30 minutes. Like what is God waiting for? All this chaos and all of this death and all of this destruction and all of this sin and all of these consequences are raging. Don't you ask that question? God, what are you waiting for? Why is nothing happening? What's going on in this world? Well, see, this is why you need to remember who could open the scroll. This is why we need to remember that we are not in control, but God himself is. And the reality is, is everyone is waiting. It's not just, it's not just Christians in this room who are waiting for God to bring the culmination of history. It's people who aren't followers of Christ, right? They're waiting, like they're waiting for the rocks, rocks to collapse on them. Like they just want this to be over too. And here's the thing, and you can run and hide and rebel against God, or you can accept him. But there's a difference because some people are gonna call the mountains to fall on them and other people are gonna praise him in that waiting. And the question for us that we must ask in this is, how are we spending this 30 minutes in heaven waiting? What are we doing with our time? Seven angels get handed trumpets. And then another angel comes to the altar and he has, a, he has an incense burner. A censer is what that's called. And what he says is um, the, 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 the incense that's rising, the smoke that's rising is mixed with the prayers of God's people. And I want you to notice what happens next. This angel throws the burner down and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's an earthquake. And this, like, that's it. In this, in this moment, what we have seen is the culmination of history in this moment. At the end of these seven seals, throws down the censer, and essentially the whole world is done. And what you're asking is, well, how can that be? Because we're gonna read about seven trumpets in a second, right? And then later in the book of Revelation, we're gonna read about seven bowls. So if, if this is the end if these seven seals are the end, like why does the story keep going? Why does the story keep happening? And the answer is in a little word, not really a little word, in a little word called recapitulation. And this is what, this is what John is doing in this text. Like he just told you what happened and now he's gonna tell you what happened again. Only he's gonna use slightly different language to explain the same thing. Does that make sense? How many of you have seen the movies, the Lord, the Lord of the Rings movies? My wife hates it when I reference the Lord of the Rings. So it'll be a little reference. Do you ever notice in the Lord of the Rings movies, 
you could notice a lot of things. But have you ever noticed in the Lord of the Rings movies is there's um, like there's like 10 hours of walking, right? And that's not even the director's cut. In the director's cut, there's like 100 hours of walking, okay? But here's what happens in the Lord of the Rings. Like the story starts to progress and then there's like a battle that takes place. And then what happens after the battle? Like you maybe think because you've been watching this movie for four and a half years and you're, one, you're like thinking the movie's over. And then it's like, nope, we got six more hours of walking that we're gonna do. And then there's another battle, same exact thing, right? It ends and then there's more walking. See, this is, this is recapitulation. This is, this is telling a story with these little breaks and essentially telling the same story. Like good is gonna triumph over evil and it's gonna take a while for us to get there. So we, we wanna communicate to you um, like good is gonna triumph over evil. And John in Revelation is telling us that over and over and over again. Because the church, the seven churches in Asia Minor were suffering incredible persecution, were suffering incredible hardship. And they needed to know that someone else was in charge. They needed to know that God knew what he was doing. So let's talk about the seven trumpets. And I want you to notice that what John is now going to do is he's going to use language from the plagues in the book of Exodus to describe the end of the world. So he talked about the end of the world and now he's gonna do it again because he wants you to get it. And if you've heard us set me say one thing over the last four plus years, it is read your Bible. Read your Bible. Here's trumpet one, hail, fire, blood, all fall to earth. Sound familiar if you're familiar with the plagues? The result is one third of the earth, trees and grass is burned up. Trumpet number two, there's a mountain of fire. A third of the sea becomes blood. A third sea creatures and ships are destroyed. Does that sound like the Egyptian plagues? Trumpet three, star falls. A third of the rivers and springs become bitter, poisoning many to death. See, John is using this language because they understand that trumpet four, a third of the sun, moon, and stars are struck and go dark. This is the language of the Exodus. This is the language of the plagues. Revelation nine starts. Trumpet five, the locusts, here it is. And the Apache helicopters swarm everywhere. No, they're locusts. They're locusts. But instead of devouring the crops, the text tells us that they devour those who do not have the seal of God on their heads. Trumpet six, four angels are released. Does this sound familiar? There are four horses. There are four riders. You see the recapitulation in the story? The result is one third of the inhabitants of the earth are killed. And here's how the people respond to all of this consequence, to all of this death and destruction. This is how the people respond. They harden their hearts. They refuse to repent just like someone else from the story of the plagues. His name was Pharaoh. And we see people today responding to the judgment of God with hardened hearts. Rejection of God. Like this doesn't make any sense. So we harden our hearts And we abuse God, we curse him, and essentially we still choose death. No matter what God does to shake us out of our sinful patterns and our sinful behaviors, just not interested. Don't wanna follow him. And the thing is, is God is, God is after repentance. Because we might ask, and it would be a reasonable question, we might ask, okay, but yeah, but why all the death and destruction? Like, why do we have to go through all of this 
If God, if God can just make everything right, why, why doesn't he do that? Have you ever wondered that question? I have. Because what God is after is our hearts. He's after our repentance. He's after us to change. He's after us to want to be like him. And he does this in a really interesting way. He does this with words. That's chapter 10. Called an intermission. This mighty angel appears with a small scroll. And what it says in the text is, um, sees this like this really tall, mighty angel. And this is gonna be a little important when we talk about this next week. But this angel is, is standing and he has one foot in the sea and one foot on the ground. And he roars like a mighty lion. And something really crazy happens. It says the seven thunders responded. And John starts to, starts to write down what they say. And then John is told, um, hey, don't write that down. As I'm reading through and thinking about this um, over the past couple weeks, like, here's a question. What if there is something that you are not meant to know? I think we've been talking about that for the last two weeks. God has, Jesus has the ability to open the seal. So there's something that you're not meant to know. And for us in our culture today, for us to not know something, is, isn't that just an affront to our humanity? Like when we watch TV, anytime there's like this historical um, mention on whatever it is that we're watching, Ann and I both do the exact same thing. We both go to our phones. We're like, oh, we're really interested in that. We just read more information about it, right? And we're just missing what's happening on the TV show. Have you ever noticed that you do that? Like we just think we have to know everything. And what I find really interesting in this little scene is that no, you don't. Which goes back to wisdom and knowledge leading to transformation. See, what God is after in our hearts is transformation. And that comes through wisdom and knowledge. I'm not telling you not to learn. I'm just saying that not everything is for you. So John doesn't write that down and then um, then he's told, hey, when the seventh trumpet blows, God's plan is going to be fulfilled. And then the angel's like, oh, and you should eat this. This scroll, you should, you should eat it. It's going to taste sweet at first, but it's going to become sour in your stomach. See, there are two other places in the Bible where something similar to this happens. One of those is in the book of Jeremiah. The other one is in the book of Ezekiel. And it's essentially the exact same thing. These prophets receive a scroll. They're told to eat it. And it's gonna taste really sweet, but then it's gonna be bitter. They're not gonna be able to digest it. And can you think about a time in your life when God's word was sweet to the taste, but the more it rested on your soul, it became sour and bitter. And that's not because it's bad. It's because you are. Because God's word is confronting your soul. And it tasted so wonderful. Oh, God is love. Gulp. And then you realize that a God who is fully loving is also fully just. And those two things are not opposing viewpoints from one another. Sweet, sour. And then he tells John that he has to prophesy. And here's the thing. 
when we tell other people about the word of God, there are going to be times where it sounds really, really, really sweet to the ear. And there are gonna be other times where like, like the dude on the video said vomit so I can get away with this. Like it's gonna seem like, sometimes it's gonna be really sweet and it's gonna seem like other times, Christian, where, where you, are, you are producing bile out of your mouth. Because what, because what they are hearing is so offensive to you. There are times where telling people the truth is going to seem unkind and bitter. Only sweet words to people is not prophesying and, so, and neither is only bitter words to people. We must proclaim the word of God to people. They need to hear it. As I was thinking about this, I, I think about our, our recent experience with cancer. I remember when Dr. Bjorling walked into the, into the room with us at Regional West back in November. Actually, we heard about it on the phone, which was even worse. Imagine for a moment if, if Dr. Bjorling was like, oh man, I have some really bad news to tell John and Ann, but... I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I'm just going to tell them everything's okay. Kind and loving? Probably not. See, as Christians, we need to recognize that we have a responsibility to tell people the truth. We are of a responsibility to be honest and point people to Christ. And here's what that looks like on a sweet side is that we are gonna love people 100%. We're gonna serve them. We're gonna honor them. We're gonna do that 100%, especially with people who sin differently than us. And here's the bitter. We're not gonna affirm their sinful choices. We can't. How can we? In order to prophesy in the way that God is calling us to, we must be sweet and bitter. And all we're doing, hopefully, is just saying what God's word says. So when they hear this, they might hopefully feel loved and maybe feel offended. And I would tell you, if you read the Bible and you are never offended by what it says, you're doing it wrong. If you're never challenged by the nature of who God is, by the character of Jesus Christ, if it doesn't bother you, I think you're doing it wrong. So here's Revelation chapter 11. John is told to go and measure the temple, measure the altar and count the worshipers. But he says, do not measure the outer courtyard because that's been given to the Gentiles for a period of time. So it's almost as if, if you are in the temple, you're safe. If you're not within the confines of the temple, you're not. He says, I'm gonna empower two witnesses. Who, like, this is what we wanna know. This is, we read this stuff and we're like, who are the two witnesses? Well, according to the text, they're lampstands. If we go back to chapter one in the book of Revelation, when it told us what a lampstand was, what was a lampstand? It's the church. It was the church. So we're seeing the church empowered. They're gonna be clothed in burlap and they're going to prophesy. Well, that's weird. Why would they be in burlap? When you read the Bible, one of the things you learn is that anyone in burlap is mourning in the Old Testament. So this is kind of telling us a little something. The way we witness to a world that doesn't know Christ is through mourning over what's be, what they've become. It's by mourning over the judgment that God is going to wreak on them if they do not enter into that relationship with Christ. We do this in mourning and we prophesy. Well, what does prophesy mean? 
Well, like we've talked about, prophets are people who've had a radical encounter with God and they just go, people, go and tell people about it. These people will be indestructible as they witness for a time. The Bible says 1,260 days, which is, if you haven't done the math on that, it's three and a half years, which is half of seven. Right? So they're gonna witness, they're gonna be indestructible. And when they're done telling their story, the great beast is gonna pounce. The great beast is going to attack. The great beast is going to defeat them. Their bodies will be marked and scorned and gloated over in celebration. All by the same people who wanted God's mercy, they're going to rise up and they're going to destroy the church. And three and a half days later, does that sound familiar? Three and a half days later, the church is going to rise their martyred bodies are gonna go to heaven. Those are the people that the martyrs in chapter six and seven were waiting for. Do you see how this all comes together? The church is gonna rise. They're gonna join Jesus and all of these people at the throne. There's gonna be an earthquake. 7,000 people are gonna die and you are not gonna believe what the people do. The text tells us they praise God. They worshiped and they feared God. They glorified him. Why? Why would they do that? Because Christian faithfulness and witness trumps judgment. See, it's a witnessing faithful church that loves people and dies for them that will lead to their salvation. This is Revelation eleven fifteen to 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the almighty, the one who is, and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It's time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven... The temple of God was opened. The ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Lightning flashed. Thunder crashed and roared. There was an earthquake and a ter terrible hailstorm. That's recapitulation. This is the culmination of history and what we're reading about in the book of Revelation is how God is saving the world, how he is returning and restoring all things to him. God's kingdom is revealed when the nations see the church imitate the sacrifice of the lamb by dying for them. We do this when we mourn and we prophesy over them. So if you are wanting the world to come to an end, Christians, if you, if you want to be a witness, then be a witness. This is how it's going to happen through us. So when we think about this, our hearts should not be in joyful glee about the destruction of sinners. I don't know if you sometimes feel like that. I want to warn you not to. Do not live in a space where these people are going to get what's coming to them. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us to mourn and prophesy over them. What does this look like? <clears throat> I want to share with you a letter that we received from one of the missionaries that we support last week. Dear friends, finally we made it and safely arrived in Thailand 
safe zone. This is from someone who's in Myanmar, which if you, if you are, are following the news, Myanmar was overtaken by a military coup earlier this year. Our team has been doing medical research and helping refugees, internally displaced people in, in Putao area. It becomes life danger after a military coup in, Jan in February. I was quite worried last May. The military intelligence chased our team to arrest. They called our team members to their offices in Putao. I had, I had to escape from Putao to Yangon using my friend's ID card by driving a thousand miles on a dangerous road. I passed 12 military checkpoints. It was a nightmare. Passing many military trucks, cannon, and tanks, I got back home safely. Military soldiers are also arresting kids, and I was worrying about my children. One night, 20 soldiers came to our quarter and also came into my house to check up. My wife solved the problem, but they arrested one of our neighbor's sons who posted political news. The father had to pay U.S. $1,000 as ransom money. Some people, the military, asked U.S. $20,000 or ransom. Many people are killed if they cannot pay. Now 5,000 are arrested and 900 killed. The people found People Defense Army, people founded the People Defense Army and started defending the villages by handmade guns. There are daily bomb explosions in every city. Some homes are started digging for bunkers for refuge. The situation becomes worse. My family decided to escape to Thailand, the safe zone, because the military kidnapped the family members if they do not find the ones they're looking for. My family applied for a Thailand visa and took a relief charter and flew to Thailand on June 12, 2021. By grace and protection of God, my family landed safely at the Bangkok International Airport. Our family are taking 14 days quarantine in Bangkok and praying to send my three beautiful daughters to Chang Ri Christian Academy. We don't know what to do next. Listen to what Simon writes. After sending my kids to a Christian school, my wife and I will involve the mission work along the Thailand-Myanmar border, helping refugees, conducting discipleship seminars, and church planting. My family deeply appreciates your continued prayer support. May God continue to bless you. Making sure my kids are safe going back in. This is what the world needs to see. This is what's going to lead to people coming to Christ. If you're not, if you are not a Christian today, I wanna tell you that what you see in our world is a world that's caught up in the consequences of sin and the judgment of God. And it only seems like it's careening out of control. I know I said earlier that we live in a mad world, <clears throat> and I know it seems like it's careening out of control, but it's really a controlled descent. See, God knows what he's doing. And some of us are wondering like why it's taken so long. Well, he wants us to repent. And with every seal and every trumpet and every bowl, what God is doing is he's shaking you to repent. And my hope for you is you're just not gonna, just don't harden your heart to that. Recognize that what God wants for you is repentance. And to my Christian friends, I wanna tell you this. As we, are, as we are speeding through the book of Revelation, this apocalypse, we're seeing a final battle brewing. I don't know if you feel that tension in our world today. The forces of evil are ramping up their attacks on followers of Christ. Like that's what, we're, that's what we're seeing in that letter from Myanmar. And we have to decide what we're gonna do in response to that. We have to pick. A few weeks ago, I was on Facebook and someone was talking about the church in Canada and how the government has really cracked down on the church in Canada. I don't know if that's something you're aware of. And someone said something like, well, that's never gonna happen here in the United States. And I'm just like, I'm gonna project how I think, I'm gonna just say it like I think they were writing it. Because we have 223 here. 
It, that's a kind of ammunition for those of you who don't know anything about guns. Can I tell you that that's completely the wrong mindset? There could come a day where Babylon is going to roll up into our parking lot, into the parking lot of every other church in this community, and march pastors into the parking lot and end our lives. Like that day could come. And then they're going to turn to you and they're going to say, and if you come back next week, this is going to happen to you. Boy, we're just getting dark today. This is the Bible. They're going to turn to you and they're going to say, this is going to happen if it turns to you. Your answer is not to show up the next Sunday with a pocket full of ammunition. Okay? It's not. Your answer next Sunday is to show up with God's word, not just in a book, but written on your heart and love. That is what's going to lead to the end of the world is a church that loves. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that what seems like a descent into hell is carefully orchestrated by the hand of a God who has it all under control. And I just ask, Lord, that we would be willing to be obedient to you. We would see your hand as a hand of love, a hand extended to us, a hand of hope. And we would also see the reality that there's a day coming where you are going to put an end to all things. because all things belong to you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray.